I don't know about you, but one of the things that uh, I do is I misuse the word love. I use the word love for things like that I really appreciate, like sleeping late. I love to sleep late. Or I love Christmas. Or I love spaghetti. Or I love audiobooks. Those are the kind of things I say I love. I love quiet evenings and family nights. I love it when it rains. And so oftentimes what we do is we end up using the word love as a synonym for appreciation. What we really mean is I really appreciate spaghetti. But what we say is I love spaghetti. And if we use the word love like that, our reading today of Hosea chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 is going to fall short. That's not the kind of love that we're going to see on display this morning. We're going to see a display of God's peculiar love. And according to one pastor from the last century, a man named James Montgomery Boyce, he says this chapter, Hosea chapter 3 verses 1 through 5, is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Why? Because of the spectacle of God's peculiar love. You see, we're going to see that our God does not fall into love. He doesn't fall into anything. He sets his love upon his people. And we're going to see that that love is not just words or sentiment or Hallmark cards. We're going to see that that's a love for unworthy, flighty, spiritual prostitutes like you and like me. And we're going to see, my hope is, that we're not just aware of God's love. I want us all to see and be convinced of God's love. So convinced that we bind ourselves to God because He loves us. He loves me and He loves you. Hosea 3 will show us this great pageant of God's love for His unworthy people. Hosea 3, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. God's Word begins. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, (laughs) though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, that you would, in the moments that we have here, convince us again from your word of your love. Speak to us through your word. Pray that you would help me to be faithful to expound and to preach your word and to open up what it says. 
Lord, understanding is not enough, though. We need your Spirit to be amongst us in power. And I pray that that would be the case. Help us all to be thinking of ourselves and not someone else. And I pray for those here who are Christians, that they would be bolted to your love. And those that aren't, that they would be drawn by your love. Maybe Christians who are wandering, I pray that you would help them to come back to you and your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Two points drawn from the text this morning. First, go again. This is what God says to Hosea in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Look, go again. Now, one thing we need to note about Hosea chapter 3 is that Hosea speaks in the first person. That means he's saying I and me. If you'll remember, look up at Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take, your, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and, and so on. And so what we have here is a reporting of what God told Hosea to do. Now we have a difference, a shift in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. Look at it. And the Lord said to me. Now it gets personal. So this is not a mere reporting. Now instead of he and him, it's me and I. The account gets a whole lot more personal and gut-wrenching. And he says, what? Go again. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Now this right here is an experience for Hosea to go back and open up old wounds and experience trauma. He's invited to go back and take the woman who he gave himself to, who he had three children with, who turned from him and ran after other lovers. She was gone from him not because she died, but she decided to play the whore and run after other men. And it wasn't as if she... <clears throat> committed adultery once or twice and came back groveling to Hosea on her knees. She ran off and didn't look back. This is not a woman who stumbled a couple times. The Lord says that he is to go marry this, marry Gomer, who is an adulteress. Her identity is tied up with her adultery. She doesn't struggle with adultery. She is defined as an adulteress. She is no longer known as Hosea's wife, but as an adulteress. And Hosea has to go and find her and get her back. And where is she? Well, she's on the auction block, being sold to the highest bidder. That's what it means in verse 2. So I bought her. He didn't just go find where she was living. Go to the man she was, was living with. No, he bought her. And Hosea gives us tantalizingly few details here. But imagine. He's called to go and love this woman again, to go and love Gomer. And to do that, he has to go buy her. This means she is on the auction block. Now, we know it's abhorrent to buy and sell men and women in that day. This was one of the means by which people could get out of debt. They could sell themselves as a slave. It could be this is what Gomer's doing. Or it could be that the pimp 
that owned her had no more use for her, and he was just trying to get rid of her. Either way, this is humiliating for both Gomer and Hosea. Now, on the auction block, she would have been stripped completely naked so that the leering eyes of everybody in the community could walk by and stare and point and say things like, isn't that Hosea's wife right there? Wasn't she with him? The prophet of God has a wife being sold naked on the auction box? All the town, everybody came along and leered. And I can only imagine the humiliation of Gomer. The life that she led led her to the auctioning block, standing in, all, standing in front of the whole community, completely exposed with nowhere to hide. I can imagine her standing at the auctioning block, not bearing, not able to look out at, into the eyes of the people, not able to notice people looking at her, knowing that she lived amongst this community. She was unable, I could imagine, to look in the eyes of the people looking at her. And so I can imagine she began to close her eyes just to dull the pain, just so that she didn't have to look at those eyes looking back at her. I can imagine her ears hearing the bidding start. Five shekels, six shekels, eight shekels, nine shekels, and then maybe she hears a voice, a voice she recognized, a voice she had turned from, a voice that she had regarded as one she wanted in her past. Ten shekels, eleven shekels. I can imagine that her pulse quickens and she thinks it couldn't be. No way it's him. Thirteen shekels, fourteen shekels. And maybe at this point she hazards a glance and she looks up and she sees a face that knows her and that she remembers. It's that face that she both craved to see but was also terrified to look upon. That face that she ran from, that face that she spat upon, that face that she tried to put out of her mind was now saying 15 shekels and a homer and a lethic of barley. That face belonged to Hosea. She who had put herself in the arms of innumerable men who were content to use her was now being purchased back by the only man who ever probably loved her. Now, if you're Hosea, what do you say for the first time when you talk to Gomer? Do you say, Gomer, do you realize I would have given you a home? <coughs> I would have given you a home forever. You could have been with me forever. And there you go, off running around, finding other men. I told you so. This was wrong. Or he could have said, do you realize the shame? Do you realize the, the, the degradation? Do you realize what it was like to stand in this crowd of my neighbors and say, that is the woman I want to buy. This is the one that was my wife. And now I have to buy you back? Do you realize the shame? Do you realize the price that I'm paying socially? Do you realize that nobody is going to look at me or you the same? Do you realize that? But that is not what he says. 
He says in verse 3, you must dwell as mine for many days. The idea here is from now on. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. Now here's the key phrase. So will I also be to you. Do you see what he's saying? As you give yourself to me, I again give myself to you. At this point, he owns her. She is his property, but he's not going to treat her as property. How is he going to treat her? As his wife. She was his, not by means of silver and barley, but by means of his love. Boyce says, Hosea owned his wife. She was his property. He could do anything he wished with her. He might want to kill her out of spite. He could have done it. Or if he had wanted to kill her out of spite, he could have done it. People might have called him a fool to waste his money on a worthless woman. She might have suffered far more as a slave to some beautiful woman where she would have been obliged to fetch and serve and carry and watch and never enter into the kind of pleasures that brought her to the state, this state in the first place. Still, Hosea could have killed Gomer if he wanted to, yet he did not. Because at this point, Hosea's love, which is an illustration of God's love for us, burned brightest. Instead of seeking vengeance, he put Gomer's clothes on her and led her away into the anonymity of the crowd and claimed that love from her that was now his right. Moreover, as he did so, he promised no less from himself. Hosea comes to Gomer, who was enslaved, paid the price, saw her exposed and clothed her, called Gomer to himself and said, you will be mine and I will be yours for all of our days. Do You see, here at the foot of the auction block, Hosea and Gomer renew their vows. That doesn't happen at the foot of auction blocks, but it does here. Now, why is this story told to us? We see in verse 2, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man as an adulteress, even as, here's the comparison that's being made here, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods, and love what? Cakes of raisin. Cakes of raisins. See, how faithful... See, the point is not what Hosea did to, to buy back Gomer. The point is what God would do to buy back his people. See, the reason we have this matrimonial picture is because all of us can relate to it. All of us can relate to what it might be like or the humility, the, the humiliation it might take to do either side of Hosea or, or Gomer in that transaction. And we're sympathetic to both. And God says, the point is not Hosea. The point is me. Here we see a picture of a jealous God, a jealous husband loving the people of Israel, loving his people. And what do the people love more than God? Raisin cakes. Talk about misplaced love. 
Just, because, just like Gomer had the misplaced love, deluded herself into thinking she had other lovers when she didn't. Hosea was the one who loved her. Hosea was the one who continued to love her. God says, the people of Israel, they turn from me and they turn to raisin cakes. Raisin cakes. See, here's the idea. What they did was they turned from the love of their God who loved them back to the love of idols, or at least the reporting, or the idea of the fact that idols could love them. And they got distracted by things like raisin cakes. God wants us to see that all of us, even if we're followers of Jesus, are tempted to love other things besides God. God wants us to see that we're tempted to be distracted from God by things like raisin cakes. Things that don't matter. Things that distract us when they shouldn't. We can read this about Israel and say, how can you turn from the God who loved you, who gave himself for you, who purchased you back from slavery, how can you turn from him to raisin cakes? That's the question. Now, how would God respond to a people like that? We're going to see now. We go from go again to return again. Now, the people, as we've been saying, they do not listen. Verse 4 says, The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. In other words, they would be exiled. They would be destroyed. The northern kingdom would be destroyed and left without a way to worship God. Why? Because they ran whoring after other gods and their raisin cakes, and God let them go. They had run to the embrace of other gods, and those promises of freedom and life and happiness and fulfillment and prosperity and companionship and blessing. They had run after gods, other gods that promised these things, and all they found was devastation. You see, that's the nature of what idols do. We can place our love in other places because when we say, it's easy to say, I love God, but there are times and places where we say, if such and such thing is taken from my life, I don't know what I would do. tempting. It's tempting for us to put our love on idols. Idols allure us with the pledges of things that we want. They don't say, hey, turn your back on God and come to me. They say, no, 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 no. Keep worshiping him, but I'll give you freedom only to deliver slavery. Keep worshiping him. I'll give you happiness only to deliver despair. Idols will promise security, but only give peril. They promise prosperity only to give bankruptcy. They promise fulfillment only to give emptiness. They promise companionship only to deliver isolation. And they promise blessing only to for you to receive cursing. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. And it can happen to us if we're not on honest about what our raisin cakes are. We have raisin cakes too. 
What's yours? What are those things that you hold on to? That you say, I have to have this. Or I have to have that. Maybe it's something like money. Or leisure. Or a relationship or two. Or vacations. Or a reputation or advancement at work. Or alcohol. Or drugs. It's easy to say, I love God. But yet, eat the raisin cakes of money and leisure and relationships and vacations and reputation. And here's where we need to be honest, all of us, every single one of us, and ask, am I binding myself to God and His love or to something else like a raisin cake. And this is really important. This is where we need to listen. This is where we need to listen. It's not just a, a matter of blind obedience here. It's not as if the passage is telling us, turn away from your feelings and just blindly obey. What the passage is telling us is this. Your God loves you. He loves you with a love that is beyond what you can imagine. He loves you with a love that will never give up. He loves you with a love that is infinite, that is here today, tomorrow, and forever. He loves you like this. He is the one and the only one you can count on for your whole life. This is what we need to recognize is that's the love God gives and nothing else compares. Nothing else compares. And we need to listen. Some of us have things that are in our lives that maybe nobody knows about that we need to give up. Those raisin cakes. And it's important for us to listen because if we don't, our hearts get hard and then we lose the ability to listen. That's what happens in Romans 1 and 2. We see God describing about mankind that they ran after their idols and what God does is he doesn't destroy those idols. He lets the people have those idols. Sometimes the very worst thing that can happen is that you get what you want. Because a raisin cake might taste great in the moment, but it turns to gravel in your mouth later. May we bind ourselves to the love of God. If that's you, that you're holding on to those raisin cakes, recognize there's a greater love than anything raisin cakes can offer, and that love is found in God. And we see a promise of it in verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, as after exile, and David their king, and they shall come in the fear, in the fear to the Lord, and to his goodness in the latter days. Now, these latter days that are being talked about here are now. And this David that Hosea is talking about, as he looks forward 800 years, is not David the king that reigned 
200 years prior to Hosea and his ministry, but Jesus the king who is the son of David, David's greater son. You see, Hosea knew that the greatest expression God would show his people, the greatest token of God's love, remained yet in the future. And for us, we see the greatest expression of God's love in the past. We see God the Son who became man. We see God the Son, Jesus Christ, who finds us, each of us, if you're Christians, enslaved to sin, naked and vulnerable and, and, and subject to all the wiles of the evil one. And Jesus doesn't just remove us from the auction block. He takes our place on the auction block. Not just to purchase us, but to replace us on that block. What he does is he, he, is, he, he, he could have just shunted us to the side. But instead, he showed his love by being treated like a slave and killed as one who was, who was drawn up on a cross. He exposed himself naked up on this cross. And his purchase price for us was not in silver and gold, but in blood. And he says, I will give myself completely to you, and I will show that fact by dying for you. Not because you deserve it, not because you're worthy, not because of anything like that, but because I love you. And here we see, in this glimpse, in Hosea chapter 3, we see a glimpse of this, this promised David. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is the one who has come and taken our place, treated like a slave, so that we might be treated like heirs. And we might have to not have to chase, give our love away to things like raisin cakes or careers or jobs or relationships, but to Jesus. And may we bind ourselves to him. He loves us. Those idols that we carry around that we all have, they do not. They cannot. They will not. Just as Hosea said to Gomer, I will be yours and you will be mine. God says to us in Christ, I will be yours and you will be mine. That's love. That's love. That, that's the love that I want us to see. That's the peculiar display of God's love. When we're taken with that kind of love, all other loves seem as empty and as bland as raisin cakes. All other loves pale in comparison. See, we will be a people who throw off idols and raisin cakes when we recognize the love God has in Christ for us that can never and will never change. I think it's for us as believers to ask ourselves, what are those raisin cakes in my life? What have I convinced myself 
saying, I'll be happy if I do this. Or, this thing will give me love. What is that? I think it's for us to consider and to compare it. Does your work love you like your God? Does your reputation love you like your God? Does your security love you like your God? No. So what are those raisin cakes? For those of you here who aren't believers or if you're watching at home, I know, I know there are other ways that you spend your love. And you know what it's like to take even the best raisin cake, eat it, and have it turn to gravel in your stomach. Those things you love cannot love you back adequately. It's only for God. And we see that love in Christ. May we bind ourselves to this God who doesn't just say he loves us, but shows he loves us by dying and continues to show us by guiding us and loving us. That's our God. And may we say, we love you and mean it and show it and live it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us all, God, because we need your illumination. Not a one of us in this room are exempt from misplaced love and that danger. Jesus, thank you for taking our place. Thank you for purchasing us by the sweat of your brow and the blood of your back and the blood shed on Calvary where you experience death so that we might be able to have life. There is no one who loves us like that. And sometimes we forget. We forget. We think there are other things that can love us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be disabused of that notion. It's much better to be disabused by that notion as we recognize what those things are and ask for forgiveness and accountability and turn from those things. Lord, we want to do that. We don't want you to have to take us through a series or a, a period of discipline so that we recognize how far we've fallen from you. And Lord, we know that you love, peop- you love us enough that you'll do that. But I pray that we would be responsive. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just put your finger on something in all of our hearts, Lord, to just say, there's your raisin cake. I'm going to just provide for just a few moments of reflection as we, as you engage with God quietly to yourself about what that might be or what those things might be in your life that are raisin cakes that you have misspent your love upon.
Lord, forgive us for spending our love in other places. Help us to bind ourselves to you. Because in you, we know you love us, and that will never change. And so I pray for those that are convicted that you would give them your grace to be able to not just confess, but to walk it out, Lord. And we know, Lord, there's nothing like following you because no one loves us like you. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.